Demystifying DMing, brought to you by Mimics and Monstrosities. Come check us out on Twitch and YouTube at Mimics and Monstrosities, and on Twitter at Mimics and Monstros. Hey folks, and welcome back to Demystifying DMing, and welcome to the first ever episode of Demystifying DMing, recorded exclusively for podcast format. We are moving away from the YouTube format, just because as the videos have gotten longer, uh, we figure it's easier to uh, consume these in podcast format as opposed to sitting through a half an hour long YouTube video, uh, so podcast it is from now on. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about NPCs, how to create them and how to make them interesting, how to make them fun, how to make them someone that your party is going to want to interact with and not just kind of like a cardboard cutout. And especially, we're also going to delve into at the end of the episode, villains in particular, because villains are very specific NPCs that we want to look at and how to make them interesting, how to make them compelling, and then also, per request, how to make it so they can be recurring without dying. Uh, because some DMs can have an issue where they try to introduce a recurring villain, and the first or second time the villain shows up, the party just kills them, and then they're without a villain. I have actually myself experienced this, not necessarily the first or second time, but my villain getting killed earlier than I anticipated, and so things you can do to prevent that, but also maybe some things you can do to react to it if it does happen, because when dice are involved and there's this random chance, sometimes ridiculous success can occur, and how do you move on from there? The most important thing to remember when it comes to NPCs when you're creating them is that an NPC is really just a person. They are a character. If you have played D&D as a player, then you've created basically what you need for an NPC, which is a complete person. Now, given the number of NPCs in your world as a DM, you're not going to want to sit down and take every single villager, every single person that the party's going to talk to, and have a full character sheet, full backstory, full everything for them because that would just be way too much work and prep time, and we want to cut that down so you don't drive yourself crazy trying to prep every single aspect of this world. So some basic things you can come up with for a person, for an NPC, especially ones that you're coming up with on the fly, uh, some kind of personality, something, think about their personality, who they are, and it can even be described as one or two words, like are they grumpy, are they cheerful, are they optimistic, are they gruff, are they, uh, are they realist, whatever you can think of for these things, some kind of word to describe their personality so you know or have an idea of who this person is. Something else you can come up with is a visual quirk for them. Something like, the party will remember the guy with the eye patch or the woman with the wooden leg or something. There's something visual there that they're going to remember is going to stick out to them in their memory about what this person looks like. And it doesn't have to be something uh, dramatic, like a missing eye or limb. It can be something as simple as a very bright, vibrant hair color. Uh, it can be something like an outfit or clothes that they wear. Anything like that. The only tra thing you want to worry about is not falling into the trap of having all of your NPCs wear the exact same interesting outfit. You might find that you have, like, a specific outfit that you think is cool and realize, like, oh, all of my cool NPCs wear the exact same outfit. Try and avoid that trap and just be conscious of these visual quirks. Taking notes during a session can be really helpful for all of these things. One, so if the NPC shows up again, you remember what they're supposed to look or sound like. And two, just to kind of observe patterns in your own NPC creation and realize, wait a minute, I do this a lot. Another thing you can focus on is a cool, interesting vocal style or voice. Really anything just different than your normal way of talking will help, especially if you have multiple NPCs talking at once, like at each other because then you can tell, or at least the party can tell, who is supposed to be talking at what time. Now, you don't need to be a fancy voice actor in order to create 
different and interesting voices for your character. Sometimes it's just enough to sit in a different way or stand in a different way that matches up with the posture of this character. If they're a very kind of pompous, proud person sitting up more straight and, uh, you know, squaring your shoulders, as opposed to if they're a bit more run down and shy or tired, you just, you know, kind of slumping forward and that can kind of affect your, uh, your voice as well. Uh, but you can also just mess around with where you place your voice within your mouth. If you move it up into your nasals, like move it up a little bit higher, move it kind of, make it a nasally kind of voice and talk to your nose, this gives a very different character than if you move it down into the back of your throat, it gets a little bit deeper, and then you get to this kind of character. And just moving it around in your mouth and just kind of getting a feel for where these, where you can place these voices and what kind of sounds you can make uh, is also a good idea to change things up for different characters. A lot of this comes with practice. This is something that you can practice while you're by yourself in your car, doing the dishes, whatever. I'm just kind of talking to yourself and see what kind of voices you can do. If you want to mess around with accents, go ahead. Uh, just, you know, be careful and make sure you're not leaning into any kind of stereotypes or anything with these accents. Do something that you're going to be at least somewhat comfortable with and not uh, ending up kind of making fun of any group of people and doing something that, again, leans into stereotypes as much as possible. Uh, another thing is just a cool story for this person. Like, who are they? Where have they been? What's been going on in their life? It doesn't necessarily have to be an entire life story for this person. It can be something simple. It can be something recent that happened. Uh, it can even be something fairly mundane. Just everybody's got something going on in their life. And it can be helpful to figure out, like, what's this person got? What's going on with them that could inform their decisions and the kind of things they might care about in this moment? At the end of the day, though, there's really two main questions you should be asking yourself in terms of any NPC. First one is, who is this person? Second one, which is very important, why should the party care who this person is? It doesn't matter if you created the coolest NPC in the world, if they're super awesome, if there's no reason for the party to interact with them. If there's no reason for the party to interact with them, they probably won't. Uh, it's important to think about how you envision the party meeting this person and interacting with them. I've made this mistake so many times in the past where I've had a location, I've fleshed out the location and created all these interesting characters and placed them around, but then never given the party a reason to go and interact with these people. They just kind of sit there waiting for the party to, for no reason really, just kind of explore their way over and find this person sitting there, which if they happen to do that, then great, but nine times out of ten, the party is not going to go off, like, exploring on their own and look through every little nook and cranny to end up finding the cool NPCs that you've put around. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't have some, like, cool NPCs in the background, like, just in case the party happens to go in certain places, but always have in mind an idea of how this NPC is going to meet and interact with the party, because really when it comes to D&D, and any tabletop RPG, it kind of doesn't exist until it meets the party. Until the party sees it, it doesn't exist. So it doesn't matter if you've got this really, really cool NPC. If the party never meets them, if they never show up in the game, they basically don't exist. So you should probably come up with some reason, some place for them to be, some reason why the party would, would be meeting them. And it doesn't have to be anything specific, too. It doesn't have to be like, the party will meet them like this. It could be like, if the party goes here they'll see this person doing this. And then that at least ties them to a location and kind of a specific event so that you have an idea of how that they're going to interact as opposed to if the party is in that location then thinking like, okay, wait a minute, this person should also be over here, but how do I put them together? How do I put them in front of the party so that they actually meet them? 
that's not prep you want to be doing in the moment. That's something that you want to do ahead of time. One uh, example of a way that an NPC might interact with the party, or probably will interact with the party, probably the most common one for a lot of people, is the quest giver role for NPCs. The ones that are going to be giving them the dangerous work that adventurers do. Now, depending on your campaign, this can take on a variety of roles, but it's also important to have them not just be a quest giver, not just be the person that says, hey, I need you to do this thing, and then the party comes back, they give them a reward, and they never see them again. That makes them feel very much like a cardboard cutout and not a person. That's going to make the party feel like they're in a world of cardboard cutouts, much like a video game, as opposed to more of a living, breathing world where they can feel free to interact with these people like they have lives and other things. And of course they don't, because it's all just what comes out of your head. But if you want to create that immersive role-playing experience, giving them the opportunity to feel like these NPCs are living, breathing people that they can talk to is going to be important for that. And one of the ways to do that is to make sure they're not just one-dimensional. Make sure they don't just have one purpose. If a person is going to give them a quest, then make sure you know, well, why do they want them to do this quest? How does this affect their life? How does this tie into their story? Why are they here? All of these other things, so you can really get into the head of this NPC as you have them give the party a quest. So then afterwards, maybe there's some dialogue, some conversations, some things that can happen. The party might feel like they want to check in on them again later. Any number of things, as opposed to just... Here's the job, okay, we did it, here's your money, bye, and just never seeing each other ever again. Another thing that can happen is you create these off-the-cuff NPCs, things like the party asks the guard, what's your name, and then they just start talking to them, and the guard was supposed to just be kind of a faceless person, or even someone you came up with in the moment, like the party asks, is there anybody around, and you said, uh, sure, yeah, there's a guard over there, why not? Just to kind of fill space, because you cannot create every single person in the world, it's just not realistic. But you create this off-the-cuff character, and the party latches onto them. They really like what you're putting down. They're very interested in the story that you create in the moment, or the voice, or the name, anything. It's hard to tell exactly what players latch onto. It just kind of happens. But say they do that, they latch onto this character, and you're like, well, now what do I do? This person didn't even exist five minutes ago, and now the party really likes them. Well, that's actually kind of great, because that means that a character that you created off the cuff with, like, zero planning the party is super into now. When it comes to the two questions of who is this person, why should the party care, you've already got one of them covered. The party already cares. They're into this person. They like them. Now all you need to do is answer that other question. Who are they? And assuming you can get away from the party for a bit, maybe uh, have a break in between sessions, or even just as the party is planning and talking to each other, you can jot down some notes and figure out, who is this person? Now, not every person needs to be the most interesting person ever. They don't need to secretly be royalty in hiding, unless you really want them to be. They can also just be a regular person. They can just have their worries be making money, paying rent, and things that a regular person worries about. That's okay, too. That can create an interesting dynamic with the party who's running around fighting dragons. It can be really, really fun to have NPCs to provide that kind of context and point of view for the party that they don't normally get of being like, wow, you guys do some dangerous stuff on a day-to-day -day basis. That's ridiculous. And having someone point that out to them can actually be really fun and interesting because the party can take that for granted and having a regular person around to just kind of point out the ridiculous things they do can be a lot of fun. Ultimately, when it comes down to running good NPCs, creating good NPCs, and creating an interesting dynamic with your party, and getting that good role-playing that you're looking for, the biggest thing is that this is an exercise in vulnerability for the DM. Be willing to put yourself out there. Go out on a limb. Try something new. 
And if because if you stick with kind of a tongue-in-cheek approach for every NPC that has them be like a gimmick or a joke or a reference to an existing character where you can kind of keep yourself at a distance, the party will feel that and they it'll be harder for them to care because it'll feel like every character is a joke. It'll feel like every character is this cardboard cutout that's meant to be a gimmick, a gag, just be there to be laughed at for a moment and then we move on. It's hard for them to really care and get emotionally invested in this character if they're just a clown, basically, if they're just ridiculous. Now, that's not to say don't put comic relief characters in your games, especially because you can do some really fun stuff where you put a comic relief character in and the party's used to having them be a source of levity and laughter in their game, and then, like, later down the road, you really add in, you you really hit them with the realism, or not necessarily realism, but, you know, you make it real and you give them some emotional depth and then suddenly the light, happy character that's supposed to be a source of laughter has some real stuff going on, that can be a lot of fun to do. But if every single character is just a joke, then, again, it's hard for the party to care. It's hard for your players to feel invested if it doesn't feel like these are real people around them. So, And that doesn't mean that they necessarily have to even be like Pulitzer Prize-winning stories about these people. They can just be regular people with regular stories, but it's it's there's this sense of being vulnerable in putting a character into the world, creating them, representing them, and then hoping your character your players like them. That's really what it comes down to. Ultimately, this is an exercise in trust between you and your players, and trusting that your players are going to take these things seriously and are going to appreciate the effort that you're putting in to these characters and make them feel like they're living, breathing people. If you take two different DMs and have one that is willing to be emotionally open and vulnerable with their players and one that is not and has that kind of uh, distance, tongue-in-cheek kind of approach, and you have them both run like a shopkeeper, for example, a very kind of almost one-off and not necessarily that important character, you can see the difference between the two of them. You can see how one of them is going to be running it more as a joke, a cardboard cutout, a representation of a video game character, and the other one is going to be willing to put at least a little bit of depth in there, willing to kind of talk to them, willing to be acting character, willing to make this person a person as opposed to just a game mechanic. And that can make a huge, huge difference when it comes to how you're running this and how your players interact with these NPCs. In addition, it's important to create a diverse cast of characters, and I mean diversity in every possible way you can think of. Uh, For one, your NPCs should not all be young, conventionally attractive white dudes. Uh, Clearly, that should not be every person in your world. But if you in particular, for example, happen to be a cisgendered white dude, you might have a particular set of character biases that you're going to jump to first, when you go to create a character, you have you might have certain uh, stereotypes, things in mind that you're going to jump to. If you hear grizzled war veteran fighter, you probably have an image in your mind of what that looks like. And it's important to challenge those ideas for yourself so that you can create a more diverse world. I could probably do an entire, entire other segment on diversity in your own games, but really the most important thing is to challenge your own biases, both in your game and also in your life in general. Really because if you look at uh, the media and the representation around us, things are getting better, but, kind of, uh, but it's important to acknowledge that media representation is not the best for a lot of groups of people, 
and you don't want to fall in line with that lack of representation in your game, especially if there's people who fall into a group that you're then not representing. It can be really hard if a person does not see themselves represented in your game world. So really start to think about these things. And I think for me, instead of trying to fall into this kind of stereotypical tokenism trap of feeling like you just need to check off boxes, because that can also be bad. You don't want to go into tokenism and just have a person be there just for the sake of having, like, oh, let's have this person be a woman just so I can have a woman. You don't want to have that be the case. Instead, I think for me, the way I do it is, as I'm creating a character, and I'm looking at the person I'm creating, I'll just ask myself a question, like, oh, does this, does this person absolutely have to be a man? Like, is there a reason this is a dude? Could this be, could this not be a man? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm realizing now is my, I'm kind of biased. I'm, I'm picturing a white person. Do they need to be white? Like, let, let me think like what other things just about them as you're describing them, just challenge each of these things. Do they need to be cisgendered? Do they need to be in their mid twenties. Do they need to be muscular or thin? Any of these things, can you challenge them and just think to yourself, does this need to be the case? And that way, as you're thinking about these things, it's not like I need to fit this in here somewhere. It's thinking like, do, does this need to be the case? And, you know, sometimes, sometimes for some things within your world, you might say like, mm, in this case, I think so. But for the most part, I think you're going to find that when you ask yourself, do they really need to be this way that my biased brain is knee-jerk making them be? you're going to find the answer is no, and you're going to end up being able to create a more diverse world as you really realize, no, they don't need to be a man. This could, this role could actually be filled perfectly well by a woman. Let's go ahead and do that. The grizzled war veteran can be a woman. Another thing along with this, though, is you want to be careful about how you're representing these characters. You might want to realize and think to yourself, like, hmm, uh, if I have characters that are overweight, for example... Am I always representing them the same way? Do I have characters who are heroic and overweight? Or are, am I always using them, like, and playing them for a joke? Which, if we look at the media, we have that as a huge, huge problem in the media, is that uh, people who are heavier in stature tend to be either evil or jokes, especially if you look at Disney movies. And that's really, that's actually bad representation. So you want to be careful and make sure that you're not... Uh, representing any of these groups poorly in that way. Like, it, if it just so happens that one one character falls into a negative light, that's okay. Make sure you're not doing it as a pattern. Make sure that you're balancing this by representing people of all of these different groups all over the place. Like, it's okay to have a villain who's a woman, as long as it's not like your only female character is the villain. Then that's bad. So make sure that you're being conscious of these things and how you're representing these groups, and make sure that you're spreading out your diversity and not concentrating it in weird places that, again, your media-biased brain is going to be pushing it towards. But also, as we look at diversity, there's a ton of other ways we can think about diversifying our characters. We can have diversity in personality, uh, diversity in class, or whether or not they have a character class at all, diversity in social status, diversity in, in their interaction with the party and their feelings about the party. Maybe they're just a person that does not get along well with your party, and they don't like them. That's entirely possible. It's important that there are people who like the party, who are kind of okay with the party, and there are people who just straight up don't like them. And it doesn't have to be that they're a villain or evil to not get along with the party. They can just be, their personalities can just not mesh. 
and they can be a person that just doesn't get along with them. I once had a character who got nearly into a fistfight with a fishmonger at the harbor just because they really didn't get along and they hated each other and the party had to drag this character away from this fishmonger before it came to actual violence. And that was a very fun, memorable interaction because it was just a person that this character didn't get along with, and that's okay. They didn't need to be a villain or evil or a terrible person. It can just be about personalities not meshing. So again, challenge yourself with these. Kind of do a first run of a character, do a first run of an NPC, and let your brain go where your brain is going to go, and then do a second Passover and think to yourself, does this person need to be this? Does this person need to do X? Does this need to be the case? And again, nine times out of ten, you're going to find that your answer is no, that does not need to be the case. And you'll end up changing things up and challenging your biases and allowing your conscious decisions to change and override the unconscious bias decisions that you've made without really even thinking about it. All right, now that we've kind of covered NPCs and making sure we can create a full, well-rounded person and uh, making sure that our gallery of NPCs represents the world around us and has a good amount of diversity, let's talk about villains. So, uh, when it comes to villains, I tend to say that a rogues gallery is a good idea having multiple villains, not necessarily all, like, the big bad, but having a variety of antagonistic characters that the party picks up over time. Like, not every antagonist the party has needs to all be tied into the main plot. Maybe they go into a fighting arena at one point, and they end up encountering another fighter who is dishonest and cheats, and the party manages to beat them anyway, but then they're still alive afterwards because the arena's not to the death, and now there's this person, very prideful person, who's willing to cheat and, you know, kind of take the low road on some things that the party has upset, now we've got an antagonist, and they're not necessarily, they're not tied into the main plot, they're not the big evil lich or anything, they're more of an obstructionary character. They're a person who really doesn't like the party, will act as a villain because they will want to bring violence upon them, and thwart their plans, and just be a jerk, but they're not, like, the main villain, and they can be fun to bring up because it can be interesting to mix these things up, like, especially as the party is trying to do something and maybe, you know, succeed in a win against their big bad, if this obstructionary character comes up of this person that they upset in this arena who then comes over and messes up their plans, that can feel so frustrating for them and create interesting drama where these kind of two antagonistic forces are fighting against the party and this other interaction they have is coming back to bite them, which can create a really interesting dynamic and sometimes make the party hate your obstructionary characters more than the actual villains, because that's like, the villains are at least big and evil and right there. This guy's just a jerk that we met in an arena. Why is he still a problem? And it can frustrate them so much and make them hate them so very, very much. But let's talk about the villains. Let's talk about your big bads. Let's talk about the the campaign-spanning, or at least uh, story arc-spanning, really bad people that your characters are going to encounter over multiple times and are going to be the source of their antagonistic nature over the course of a large chunk of the story. Now, personally, with these characters, these NPCs in particular, I really like to sit down and spend a lot of time getting in their head, figuring out who they are, and really, for me at least, writing down their story. I like to do this with a lot of NPCs, kind of giving context and writing up a little almost historical description, maybe even a page or two long, 
that describes who they are, where they've been, what their life has been like up to this point, how they got here, and why they are the way they are. Um, and I especially want to do that for villains, because when it comes to villains, it can be hard to play villains sometimes, because you need to be bad, you need to be a bad person doing bad things, but they need a reason to be doing it. If the party goes up to them and just says, why are you doing this? The villain should have an answer. You don't want the party to be able to reason with the villain and convince them, hey, could you not? And then the villain to be like, huh, I never thought about that before, and then just stop. You want to really delve into this villain's story and have an idea of why they're doing what they're doing so they can have conviction behind it, so they can really stand by their actions and know why it is they're doing what they're doing. Even if they don't have to tell the party, you should know what motivates them, what's keeping them on this path of evil, or at least antagonism with the party, so that that way, more reasonable routes, like siding with the party and being a good person, aren't tempting for them and aren't the kind of thing that the party can just do to convince them to join their side. Now, one thing to be careful of here is uh, sometimes you might end up wanting to create a more sympathetic story for your villain in order to really explain why they're doing be why they're doing what they're doing. It can be very tempting to make you know this idea of uh, the villain feels like they're a hero in their own story, and while that can certainly be the case, you want to maybe avoid making them too sympathetic uh, because you know they're probably doing some terrible, terrible, awful things if they're. Uh, at odds with your party, and you might not want to have them, you know, give this sob story to the party like, well, I, com you know, committed all those murders because I had a bad childhood, and it's like, you know, the party's basically going to be like, well, you know, cool motive, still murder. You're going to want to maybe have them have a reason for all these things, have them know why they're doing this stuff, but if you try to make them too sympathetic, the party might not really care. Though there's definitely room for tragedy in these backstories, especially because, you know, tragedy tends to be a part of a villain backstory, usually. Uh, it can also not be. There's tons and tons of different ways you can go with this. All sorts of interesting characters and stories you can create. But really, just ultimately, the main idea here is just know what your villain's story is. Sit down, and if, it, if you need to, write it out, start to finish, how they got to this point, how they got here, and why they are the way that they are. And that way you know so that you can inform their decisions and really get to know this villain well. Another thing that helps is knowing the villain's plan, having a sort of multi-layered and varied kind of approach that they can be taking. Uh, if they want to do something, if they have this ultimate goal, figure out steps prior to that goal. Figure out kind of, you know, the A to B to C to D to E to F, so on, that leads to that final step. Because if you've just got a final step for them, the problem is... You're going to start off with them trying to get to that final step, and if the party's trying to stop them, this is kind of a one-interaction kind of thing. Think about a string of possible interactions, steps in their plan that they can be taking, that will then ultimately lead them to their ultimate goal. That way they can have multiple conflicts with the party, the party foiling them at multiple places and interacting with them, as opposed to just that one thing that's going to cause them to interact. Because otherwise there's only really one interaction here with your villain, and it's less a villain and more just that one guy who was doing that one thing that one time. You want to make sure that you have an opportunity for your party and the villain to clash on multiple interactions, multiple occasions, 
so they can really build up this rivalry, this relationship with each other over time. So when you finally do get to that final place where it's do or die and the party needs to stop them or they succeed ultimately, then you've really built up this relationship over time of trading victories back and forth and it really builds up into this final titanic clash as opposed to just another fight. Another thing is to just take time and think from the villain's perspective occasionally. Just really take time and sit down and think, like, what's the villain thinking right now? What are they doing at this moment? The party has foiled them four times. Is the villain going to retaliate? What do they know about the party? What could they do? Really start to think villainously and, you know, think about what the party has. What do they care about? What can I target? How can I take these people that have been thwarting me at every turn and stop them, distract them, do something that's going to keep them from continuing to thwart my plans. And this kind of comes along with uh, making sure that the party has interesting things that they care about in their downtime and their own lives. Uh, For example, I once had a player whose character was getting married and had a wedding. And you know what? That was a perfect opportunity for the villain to show up and just mess everything up and just ruin the day and attack the place of ice golems. And that was a great opportunity to take something that was going to be a happy occasion and is given an opportunity to make it so that the party hated the villain that much more. Now, don't ruin every happy occasion with the villain, otherwise they're not going to want to have happy occasions. You've got to pick and choose here. But keep an eye out for these opportunities. Keep an eye out for these moments that can create really interesting uh, emotional connections where the party can really then start to hate the villain even more because they came in and they, you know took a crap on their happiness. But now that brings us to the other question of how to keep your villain alive this whole time uh, because there are these random dice involved and sometimes natural 20s can happen and your villains can end up dead. So what are some strategies we can use to make sure that the party does not kill your villain too early? Number one is to really sit down, think, get in the head of the villain And think up some preparations, some defenses. You know, you've got a lair, and just really think, I'm going to have people that want to kill me. What can I do to prevent that? How can I keep myself from dying day to day? What can I do to make sure that this very dangerous line of work I'm in does not result in my death? There's a variety of different things you can come up with for that. Uh, There are defenses, there are guards, there are all sorts of these things that you can have for your villain to really flesh out their kind of evil organization they're probably going to have and these layers of defenses around them to make sure that they, the very important figurehead at the top, do not end up dead. One such thing is lieutenants, which is something I absolutely love to use in my games, is to give the villain lieutenants. Now, you can do this in a variety of ways. You can either have kind of an unfolding mystery, where you have this conspiracy, and the party is gradually working their way through these uh, lesser members of the organization, and piecing together the puzzle, figuring out who the villain is. They've got this kind of vague, nebulous, shadowy presence behind all of these things in their adventures and all of these smaller villains they're killing. They've kind of got the person behind the curtain here that is the villain that they're gradually piecing together an image of. In that way, they kind of feel the presence of the villain without actually meeting them until much, much later on when they've pieced together enough of the mystery. Maybe for the first couple adventures, they don't even really realize these things are connected until one of them suddenly kind of clicks things into place and you start to notice, oh, wait a minute, those first two things we went on were actually connected to each other along with this third thing, all because this one person 
gave these people this item or connected these or told them to do this or these were all part of this plan and they start to be able to piece that together in that way you've got kind of the presence of the villain that the party can feel but they don't actually get close enough to kill them however if you want your villain to have a more present role in your campaign that's great too uh then you can implement kind of the lieutenants you can have their second third fourth in command their people that they trust that can then act as mini bosses between them and the party. That way, maybe if the villain is there, they're standing off at a distance, they're taunting the party, they turn to leave, they leave behind a lieutenant, and they're like, go ahead, dispose of them. Then the lieutenant can fight the party, they can be more level appropriate, the party can have a good boss fight, but by the time the boss fight is over, the villain has left, has absconded, is out of the building, nowhere to be found, and the, vi- the party can, you know, curse their name and be frustrated because the villain escaped, but they still get a victory. They still manage to kill one of the lieutenants. And then that way... They get the satisfaction of being able to kill one of their villains, but not the villain. The one main antagonistic force is still out there with more lieutenants to throw at them. Another thing is taking advantage of the game statistics. You really want to think about when do you intend the party to fight this villain? Are they like a 20th level villain? Are they a 10th level villain? What at what level should the party be able to actually do this fight? And then just level the villain to that level. So if the party... It has a villain who they're meant to fight when they get to 20th level, and they are 6th level, it's very unlikely they're going to be able to kill that villain at 6th level. They just are not powerful enough yet to actually take this villain on, and if they try to fight them, it might actually go the other way, that then the party ends up getting their butts kicked, and possibly one of them dying, and they have to run and flee as they realize, we cannot take this person, or creature, whatever, and we need to come back when we're more powerful. We need to hide from this person. We can't handle this. And then it kind of flips the thing. It's not them hunting the villain. It's them running from the villain and hiding from them as they kind of try and maybe guerrilla tactics take down their organization. Think about if we're going to go in terms of Star Wars, like they're they're not going to go and charge Darth Vader, but you can go after some stormtroopers in the meantime and try to like take down the organization little by little as you build up to being able to take on that big bad. In addition, if a villain is powerful enough, and it is in fact a magic user as well, there's a lot of spells that they would have access to that could help make sure they don't die, that they could cast in preparation of interacting with the party. I'm going to have a whole, whole episode on magic, and making sure that you as a DM know exactly what all is available in the giant world of spells, both that your players have access to and that you have access to, Um, But just keep an eye out and look through, take a read through these if you have a spellcaster and really think, what would be some good spells for this person to have that they could cast at any given moment? Or even some of these, they could just be casting every single morning. Uh, There are a few high-level spells that have like a 24-hour duration that a wizard can just cast first thing in the morning every single day and just constantly have active. So they're pretty much just immune to whatever effects uh, they prevent. But, ultimately, it is possible that despite all your preparations, the dice will not be on your side, and you will end up with a dead villain before you in- you were intended to. I've had this happen myself back when we played Pathfinder. Uh, you had to confirm a critical, so basically if you rolled a natural 20, you needed to roll a attack roll again with that critical. If it, the attack roll was a hit, then it was a critical. If it was a miss, then it was just a regular hit. But we had a home, we had a house rule that was if you rolled a natural 20 again on your confirmation roll, so you roll a 20, it's a crit, you roll again to confirm, it's another 20, then it's just an instant kill. Well, 
I had my villain show up and uh, be resurrecting an anti-paladin. It was basically just standing around, like, being way too high-level and way too powerful, and the party was just swinging at him and doing nothing. Just absolutely nothing was was working. He was feeling very confident and just standing among them and just doing his business, and then he went to leave. As he went to leave, the rogue decides to try one more time and attack, rolls a natural 20, and goes to confirm, and, like, before they even rolled, I was like, this is going to be another natural 20. This is going to be a double 20. They rolled, and it was... And I was like, okay, I guess you cut his head off. You just you just come up behind him, you get a lucky swing in, and you just decapitate the villain, and he's dead. The person that he resurrected managed to get away, but then I was left with no villain, a villainous organization that he'd been putting together of, like, uh, mind-controlled dragons, vampires, pirates, all kinds of weird stuff put together into an organization that he just was no longer in charge of, that was just out there. And I had to figure out, what do I do now? The answer that I came up with for that was, create a worse villain. Um, You don't necessarily have to create a worse villain. This is what I decided to do. But I created a much more insidious villain after this, who was a politician who had knowledge of the occult and magic and stuff, who was aware of the previous villain, and then was able to use his political connections and some of his other knowledge and connections to move in and take advantage of the power vacuum left over by the villain and kind of consume the villain's forces and resources into their own. So now this politician had both their own political resources, as well as all of the villainous, evil, magical stuff that my previous villain had put together, and now the party kind of just had a bigger problem, because when a villain dies, they just they still have all the stuff they've been doing, they leave a power vacuum, and you have to deal with the fallout from that. So there are definitely ways to go here. Uh, you can always just think, all right, where do I go from here now? Maybe there's a second-in-command that can step up and take over this mantle, and they've been waiting to do this. Maybe there's somebody else that can move in and take advantage of that power vacuum. Maybe the power vacuum itself is going to be the new villain, basically. Maybe their their organization was so expansive and covered so much of the world that now that there's no one at the top controlling all of it and it starts to crumble, the individual pieces basically just start to go off on their own and cause problems, and now we've just got widespread chaos as this power vacuum inside this giant evil organization rips it to pieces, and then we've got consequences all over the world that the party now has to go deal with. There's always still things to do. There's always still things that you can handle, as long as your villain has been built up enough, and there's enough around them. If they're just one person kind of going like, yeah, I'm doing one thing, and just it's just me, then yeah, if the party kills them early that's that's going to be it. They're dead. That's over. They don't have the villainous organization around them to then fall into the power vacuum or create opportunities. They're just one person doing one thing. So for smaller villains, smaller arc villains that might just be one person doing one thing, if the party kills them early, you might just have to say, oh, well, better luck next time. I'm talking more about for, like, the big, long campaign or arc villains that probably have more to them than just this one person because... Also for the party, it kind of gets old if you have this the villain that's just one person doing one thing, and they show up, taunt the party, the party can't kill them, and then they leave. The party's just going to be wanting to kill that person, and it's going to feel not satisfying when the villain just shows up and then leaves, and the party can't do anything against them. At least give them a lieutenant to fight, so that they have something they can accomplish in each of these interactions to feel like they're making progress. But at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, uh, if your villain ends up dying early, and you don't know what to do, and you're really, really stuck, well, 
Uh, there's one other option you have, which is the fact that, well, the players have access to resurrection magic, and if one of them dies, they can have a cleric, uh, you know, cast resurrection on them and bring them back to life. Who is to say the villains can't also? I mean, unless the characters or the players completely destroy the body, but even if they do, if they have access to a cleric or someone that can cast true resurrection or wish, or if, you know, they have access to some sort of unholy resurrection ritual that draws their soul back from the nine hells and binds it into a new body, any sort of weird evil stuff that you can do like that, then, one, your villain can come back, and the party needs to figure out, oh, how do we keep them from coming back? You can realize that death isn't the end for the villain, and you may need to make sure that you kill their cleric, for example, or you may need to make sure that you destroy their body in a specific way, or maybe you need to follow them into the nine hells and destroy their soul once and for all. Something like that to make it so that the villain can exist beyond death. Or you can even make it so that you can hear the organization is trying to resurrect the leader and make it a quest, make it an adventure, leave it up to the dice. If the players succeed, then they prevent the villain's resurrection. If they fail, the villain is resurrected and things start all over again. I really like to leave things, things up to players and the dice and things like that. Leave it a question. Don't know yourself. Let's find out. Do the players successfully prevent the resurrection, or do they not? That's a very dynamic, interesting quest that they're going to want to go on and prevent, and that's going to feel very natural for them, and it will have consequences. If they fail, villain's back, party's back on. If they succeed, they keep the villain down, and things have to proceed from there. And then you need to figure out where to go from there as well, but I've gone over some options for you. So hopefully these are some tips that you can find helpful in creating NPCs and creating villains and making sure your villains have the longevity that you want, or if they don't, you know how to react to that. This has been the first ever episode of the Demystifying DMing podcast, so look for us again here where you can find our podcast. We will have more episodes in the future. Next week we're going to be talking about downtime and how to give your players these downtime activities to help make sure that their lives can be interesting outside of the adventure and they have things that they care about that's not just killing monsters and taking their stuff. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you uh, being here. And of course, as always, your players are having more fun than you think they are. Have a good rest of your day, everybody.